Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. When we last looked at the book of Nahum, we left off in verse 11 of chapter 1, where we are instructed by the minor prophet, There is one come out of thee that imagineth evil against Yahweh, a wicked counselor. And, in order for you to fully understand the rest of chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2, here in the book of Nahum, we must first establish who this quote-unquote Assyrian is. Because you'll know at the beginning of the first part, towards the conclusion I told you, that any ruler of man that is not endued with the Holy Spirit, but rather the spirit of the world or the spirit of error, the spirit of Antichrist, we could say, rules diametrically opposed to Yahweh God, thus becomes a type of Satan. And we see this in so many examples, but most assuredly in the Babylonian or Pharaoh himself. And we definitely see this example within the case of the Assyrian. So, first, let me concrete, before we continue on in chapter 1, who this Assyrian is. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 37. Beginning in verse 36, The angel of Yahweh went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nishrash, his god, that Adramalek, and Sherezer, his sons, smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia. And Ishar-Hardon, his son, reigned in his stead. So, point one is this. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed at this point in history, according to Isaiah. And he went and returned and dwelt in Nineveh. Quite interesting, is it not? Because what we're discussing in the book of Nahum is a judgment pronounced against the unruly Ninevites, and more importantly, against them as a nation because their ruler, the quote-unquote Assyrian, caused them to err. So, point one. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, dwelt in Nineveh. Now, here in Isaiah, turn to chapter 10. And in chapter 10, verse 5, we read, 
O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger, and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. Point two is this. The Assyrian is considered the rod of Yahweh's anger, and the staff in the Assyrian's hand, meaning their weapon, formed against us as Israelites, are what? Representative of Yahweh's indignation. So, point two, the Assyrian is the rod of Yahweh's anger. A polite way of saying he uses our governmental rulers, those most assuredly that are unrighteous, against us. And you know as well as I do, in Scripture we are told that every ruler of man, be they righteous or unrighteous or placed there of Yahweh God. So the second point, before we look and continue studying Nahum as a book, is this. While the Assyrian dwelt within Nineveh, that same said Assyrian was considered the rod of Yahweh's anger. Correct? Now that that is established, another point we need to make is found in Ezekiel, the book of the major prophet, but the 31st chapter. And we read in verse 3, Behold, the Assyrian was a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and with enshadowing shroud and of an high stature and his top was among the thick boughs. Thick boughs of what? Thick boughs of trees. And when we get to Nahum, you'll see that he's not saying anything that is far removed from either Isaiah or Ezekiel. Continuing on in verse 4, here in Ezekiel chapter 31, the waters, a polite way of saying people, according to the book of Revelation, made him great. The deep set him up on high with her rivers running round about his plants and sent out her little rivers unto all the trees of the field. Therefore his height was exalted above all the trees of the field, and his boughs were multiplied, and his branches became long because of the multitude of waters when he shot forth. All the fowls of heaven made their nest in his boughs, and under his branches did all the beasts of the field bring forth their young, and under his shadow dwelt all great nations. A polite way of saying terrible. Thus he was fair in his greatness, and the length of his branches for his root was by great waters. Pay close attention, verse 8. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide him. The fir trees were not like his boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like his branches, nor any tree in the garden of God was like unto him in his beauty. I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches, so that all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him. Envied who? The Assyrian. A nice way of saying Satan, because we know that this king of Assyria, referenced in Isaiah, did not dwell within the garden of God. So point three is this. As I have said, any ruler of man not imparted with the gift of the Holy Spirit is a type of Satan. And Ezekiel chapter 31 verses 3 through 9 prove that. Notice also that the Assyrian is made great 
because of many waters or many nations. And not only that, a very important fact is this, that the beasts of the field bring forth their young under his shadow. And you know as well as I do what a proverbial beast of the field is in Scripture. One final point before we get back into Nahum that I must make, and that is the fourth point that we must establish. So turn with me to the book of the minor prophet Micah. And rest assured, I'll be bringing a full entire study on the book of Micah in the near future. In fact, a dear brother in Christ recently rearranged the Covenant People's audio section, re-adding back in the special edition, and not only that, but also added a new section in our audio section at covenantpeoplesministry.org, and that is the Minor Prophets. So if you require further study into these Minor Prophets, we now, at Covenant People's Ministry, have a subsection devoted entirely to the lectures that I have brought forth pertaining to the Minor Prophets. So in Micah chapter 5, we read, beginning in verse 4, He shall stand and feed in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God, and they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. This man shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces. Then shall we raise against him eleven shepherds and eight principal men. And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod in the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian, when he cometh into our land, and when he treadeth within our borders. So who is being discussed here? Yahshua, the Messiah. And you can read about this in Isaiah chapter 14. But more importantly, Joel chapter 2 and Zechariah chapter 14. He shall stand and feed in the strength of Yahweh, Jesus the Christ. And this man, Yahshua Messiah, Jesus, shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come into our land. When he who is under the influence of satanic powers. So point four is this. Jesus Christ is the only deliverer from any unjust ruler of man, any unjust ethnos or beast of the field that may rise against you, and also this specific person known as the Assyrian. Plural. We read in scripture of the Assyrians, thus the Assyrian encompassed the entire band. And that Assyrian that we just read of The leader and or king happens to be a type of Satan. Because after all, no man was in the garden of God. We know of Adam, Eve, and also Lucifer himself. So now that we have established those four facts pertaining to the Assyrian, let's now pick back up our study into the book of the minor prophet Nahum, beginning in verse 11. There is one come out of thee that imagineth evil against Yahweh, a wicked counselor. Do you see the similarities to what we've covered thus far in Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Micah? Verse 12. Thus saith Yahweh, though they be quiet, and likewise many, yet thus shall they be cut down when he shall pass through. 
Though I have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. So, once again, remember, the Assyrian is the rod of Yahweh's chastisement. And this, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 1, here in Nahum, discusses the deliverance of Judah. Judah, being a tribe of Israel, but also a nation unto themselves at this time, post-Babylon. And we are told, Thus saith Yahweh God, through the words of this minor prophet Nahum, Though they, the Judeans, be quiet, and likewise they are many, yet they shall be cut down. When he, who, the Assyrian, goes through their land, or passes through, Note that in verse 11 we are instructed that one comes out and imagines a wicked thing against Yahweh through his people. And that, my friend, is as far as it got. Except to defend the cities of Judah, the king Sennacherib only got as far as imagining this. And his army was to be cut down when he passed through Judah. So remember this when you read Isaiah chapter 37. And we went there momentarily. But that is the reference point in history where this is fulfilled. Thus they shall be cut down when he, the king of Assyria, passes through. Though I, Yahweh God speaking, have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. Meaning that Yahweh God afflicted Judah, but will not afflict any more by the Assyrian. And... Yahweh God will break the yoke and his bonds asunder. So, understand this point. If the Assyrian is the rod of Yahweh's chastisement, then what we are reading about here is grace, leading all the way back up to the fact that Nahum means comforter. You as an Israelite, whether you're Judean or not, should take comfort in the fact that a Messiah has come and a Messiah will come again. And he, and only he, can deliver us from the Assyrian. Correct? We covered that in Micah chapter 5. So, if only Yahshua can deliver us from the devil and his spirit, or any unrighteous ruler of man, we must understand that Yahweh God is in control. Correct? Yahweh God sent the Assyrian. Yahweh God allowed the Assyrian to abide. And Yahweh God ultimately pronounces judgment through Nahum, the minor prophet, against Nineveh. And this is one of the reasons why the king himself rose up against Israel. And no matter how many times the rulers of men do this, Yahweh God always takes it personally. Why? Because it's as if you are attacking his bride. And truly, any man who does that is doing as such. This is why Yahweh God is jealous. And I spent so much time proving to you from Exodus and Deuteronomy and even Ezekiel that Yahweh God's name is jealous and always will be because he loves his bride Israel. Thus, any movement against the Israelites, whether they're the Judeans or the Israelites, post-Dysphoria, after Solomon's death, does not matter. They all comprise the same bride. And both nations, Judah and Israel, will be reconciled. Verse 13, here in Nahum 1, For now will I break his yoke from off thee, and will burst thy bonds in sunder. So, quick question, 
who sent the yoke? Yahweh God. Yahweh God sends the Assyrian and Yahweh God allows him to abide. And it is also Yahweh who will break the yoke. So what I want you to understand is that Yahweh God has no position or part within evil, but Yahweh God allows evil. And Yahweh God creates and sends evil. Perhaps that's a study for another day, but while Yahweh God is omnipotent and does all of these things, Yahweh God has no part within evil. Therefore, the Assyrian fulfills that duty to Yahweh God, being the rod of his correction against an unruly nation like Judah in this context. Verse 14, And Yahweh hath given a commandment concerning thee, that no more of thy name be sown. Out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image, and I will make thy grave, for thou art vile. Who? Not the Assyrian, the Judeans, in apostasy and in rebellion to Yahweh God. Notice also the usage of the words, Out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image. Because Yahweh God, whose name is Jealous, says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, Thou shalt serve no other gods. Thou shalt not bow down to graven images. Why? Because Yahweh's name is Jealous. Once again, you should be able to see that this judgment is pronounced out of a godly jealousy. And this is why Nahum spends so much time at the beginning of chapter 1 telling you the 20 characteristics of Yahweh God, and only three of which are just and righteous. The rest are vengeful, jealous, and angry. Yahweh God will protect his bride in the midst of the day of vengeance. That, quote-unquote, great and terrible day of Yahweh God. A very important fact, and not only that, notice that out of the house of thy false gods, I will cut off thy graven image. Judgment begins at the house of Yahweh God. And do you think for a moment that you can come in and pronounce things, professing to be a preacher of God's word, that aren't found within scripture and not be held accountable? Well, I assure you, you will. This is why Yahweh God will cut their gods off within their own house. The idols of men and unruly men, unfaithful rulers like this Assyrian, never stand. Do you consider the irony of this? That life is truly but a vapor. And men who get to high levels, such as president or king or queen, don't do so without selling their soul to the devil, proverbially. And what do they have? 60, 80 years, and then they're cast into outer darkness for eternity. Notice, he says, I will make thy grave. Yahweh will make the grave of particular Judeans, for thou art vile. Notice, this is in reference to Judah being delivered, but not every single Judean makes it out of this judgment against the Ninevites. So, so much for all Israel being saved, right? (laughs) Perhaps that's a study for another day. What is the missionary program of Judeans and All Israelites, by extension. Well, verse 15 provides that answer. We're instructed. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. O Judah, keep thy solemn feast. Perform thy vows. For the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He 
is utterly cut off. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net, where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts, or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church, so that when He returns, you will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. What wicked is that? Well, that is the Assyrian, naturally. And we are told here that that wicked man and his band will no longer pass through us. Could this be? Because... With an overrunning flood, he will make an end thereof. We read about that in chapter 1, but verse 8. This is a promise, my friend, and you must understand that. A promise of Yahweh God that Isaiah also referenced in chapter 52. And that promise is, if you keep the solemn feasts, if you perform your vows by letting your yea mean yea and your nay mean nay, If you do this, in short, if you obey Yahweh God, he will protect you. He will be a father unto you, and you will have no need of any want. But if we do not, then we have to contend with something considered an Assyrian. Then we become meat for the beast of the field, which, ironically, all seemingly are granted safety under the shadow of the Assyrian. This proverbial Assyrian, also known as Satan, elsewhere in scripture, seemingly has his pawns, and his pawns are those same said beast of the field. Therefore, upon the mountains, the feet of him that bringeth good tidings and publishes peace, those Judeans and Israelites will be protected of Yahweh God. Very important, because here as we enter into chapter 2 in the book of Nahum, you're going to see that Judah is encouraged against the Assyrian invader. Kind of interesting, is it not? Because I already laid the groundwork at the beginning of this evening's lecture into the fact that the Assyrian was sent of Yahweh God, the Assyrian was created of Yahweh God, and not only that, through his pomp, his arrogance, and his ego of being lifted up, believed that he was greater than God in a lot of regards, and the waters or proverbial people set him that way. We know of one anointed cherub that covereth, who, because of his beauty, set his sights on being higher than the Most High, who, of course, is Yahweh God. So, without further ado, in chapter 2, the book of the minor prophet Nahum, verse 1. He that dasheth in pieces is come up before thy face. Who is that? 
That is the Assyrian son of Yahweh God. And I want you to pay close attention because even though this Assyrian is son of Yahweh God, we are told to withstand him. What this proves, of course, is the omnipotence of Yahweh God through the chagrin of the Judeo-Christians who come in and say, you know what? Satan is his own God in and of himself. He possesses the power to create and he does all evil things. Not scriptural, my friend. Satan was created of Yahweh God and Satan abides because Yahweh God allows him. And on the same token, Yahweh God commands us to withstand Satan. Because we understand, ultimately, Satan or anyone under his spiritual dictatorship, like this proverbial Assyrian, will be cast down. Yahweh God commands you to withstand him. Quite interesting, is it not? Because your Gnostic or your monotheist could come in and say, you know what? If Yahweh God created Satan, then we must show Satan homage. And not only that, respect him because he's the creation of Yahweh God. So chapter 2 begins on the note. He that dasheth in pieces is come up before thy face. He that dashes in pieces. Could that be the same rod of anger and chastisement that we read about in Isaiah chapter 10? I think so. In its entirety. He that dasheth in pieces is come up before thy face, Judah. Keep the munition. Watch the way. Make thy loins strong. Fortify thy power mightily. Why? Because the destroyers of Nineveh have come. This is ancient history. This has already come to pass, my friends. Syaxares of Media and Nobopolisar, the father of Nebuchadnezzar, historically, according to the book of Isaiah, were they that were sent to destroy Nineveh. And they were sent of Yahweh God. Perhaps it's a study for another day, but we're instructed to keep the munition. This is the call to prepare for the siege. Because Yahweh God was about to restore the excellency of both Jacob and Israel. And they had been destroyed by the enemies. The enemies of who? The enemies of God. Pay close attention to verse 2. For Yahweh hath turned away the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and marred their vine branches. Marred their vine branches. Do you recall that when Yahshua walked, he said, I am the true vine. And we must abide within him. Perhaps this is why. The vine branches are marred. And more specifically, why evil rulers oftentimes focus their sights against white Christians in general. Yahweh hath turned away the excellency of Jacob and of Israel. Two specific classes. And while we within Christian identity have no problem telling you Israel, the nation, are the descendants of Jacob... Why then are we told here that Yahweh turned away the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel because the emptiers have emptied them out? What we're being told here in Nahum chapter 2 verse 2 is that Yahweh God once again omnipotent. And Yahweh has chosen to turn away the excellency of Jacob. You understand that point. No matter how much erroneous men or women come into this movement and they say, hey, the Israelites are so great. Prove that in Scripture. Because they're not. They're apostate. They're unruly. They continually, from day in to day out, hurt Yahweh God. And still do unto this day. 
Perhaps their disobedience and Judah's disobedience in particular is why and one of the reasons Yahweh himself has turned away the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel. If the Israelites were so great, that excellency would not have been turned away. And it was Yahweh God who rose up the Assyrian. And I assure you, while a majority of the Judeans were engaging in idolatry, worshipping foreign gods, and saying, hey, you know what, we're protected of Yahweh God, Yahweh God didn't know them. And Yahweh God rose up the Assyrian as a rod of his anger against the Judean. Against the Judean, who Yahweh God loved. Very important. Whom Yahweh God loves, he will chastise. And this is part of the chastisement of Judah, whom Yahweh loved. What is part of their chastisement? Going into captivity. Once again. Verse 3. The shield of his mighty men is made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariot shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. Who? Yahweh gods. And the fir trees shall be terribly shaken. Fir trees. Interesting use of the word, correct? Turn once again back to the book of Ezekiel. Verse 3, once again. The Assyrian was a cedar in Lebanon. But who made this proverbial cedar of Lebanon great? According to Ezekiel chapter 31. The waters made him great. The deep set him up on high with her rivers running round about his plants and sent her little rivers unto all the trees of the field. Therefore his height was exalted above all the trees of the field and his boughs were multiplied and his branches became long because of the multitude of waters when he shot forth. We're also instructed once again in verse 8, the cedars in the garden of God could not hide him. The fir trees were not like his vows. Who? The Assyrian. Yet here in Nahum chapter 2 we are told, The shield of his mighty men are made red. Color of communism. The color of Esau, Edom. The valiant men are in scarlet. Once again, same analogy. The chariot shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation, and the fir trees shall be terribly shaken. Now, your average Christian would come in and say that just means the tree, right? Well, why the usage of fir tree? And why do we learn in Ezekiel chapter 31 that the fir trees made this cedar of Lebanon, known as the Assyrian, great? I feel this has much merit. Because in the day of his preparation, the commander of the Medo-Babylonian army, when they move into Nineveh, there will be a remnant that is spared. So, through all this judgment, and through Yahweh preparing to bring an utter end of the city of Nineveh, I want you to pay close attention. Once again, Yahweh is saying, if you will obey, I will be your father. But if you do not, if you consider this Assyrian the rod of my anger and chastisement, something great, then you'll be cast down with them. Yahweh God has no gray area. If you want to be delivered and win wars, then you must side with Him. We see that from Genesis to Malachi and throughout the last 2,000 years of recorded history. Any war of man is futile and pointless, but a war for God? Man always wins. That is, if Yahweh God is in their corner. 
The only God can be against a person, and they will fall within war, within judgment. So, the fir tree shall be terribly shaken. Those same fir trees that thought the Assyrian was so great, that helped to make him great, that fed him with water, right? Continuing on, verse 4. The chariot shall rage in the streets, and they shall jostle one against another in the broad ways, and they shall seem like torches. They shall run like the lightnings. Very interesting use of the word broad way, right? Because Yahshua said, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it, that path to eternal life. He also says, beware of the broad way. Don't go the broad way. What we can confirm here in verse 4 is that a majority of those Judeans who were apostate and fell into the apostasy of the Assyrian that was sent of Yahweh God did so because that Assyrian came in and said, hey, go the broad way. Don't seek out the narrow way that few find because that narrow way leads to eternal life. What do we see here? The beginning of chapter 2 in Nahum, but the wages of sin being death. It does not matter if you're an Israelite or a Judean. Yahweh God will keep His promise in that day of preparation. Verse 5. He shall recount His worthies. They shall stumble in their walk. They shall make haste to the wall thereof and the defense shall be prepared. What does this denote? Well, this shows that the Judeans were instructed by Yahweh God, just like we read about in Isaiah regarding the Assyrian, to prepare for war. He, the Judeans, shall recount his worthies. They shall stumble in their walk. They shall make haste to the wall thereof, and the defense shall be prepared. But, once again, notice, Yahweh God can save a few, a remnant, out of an entire nation. And he will do so in the case of Nineveh here, because they overstepped. And Yahweh God had to come in and pronounce his judgment. And Yahweh God has no part with an evil, so he sends the Assyrian. Imagine the irony of this. We could just say he sends Satan. And men and women, then like now, will come in and say, you know what, Satan talks a good game. I'm going to follow this Assyrian. He says all religions are one. He says the broad way is the great way to go, right? Coexist, get along. But yet Yahweh God never calls for that. Yahweh God calls for obedience and says if you don't obey, you will perish. And if you mess up and don't repent, you also will perish. So, we're going to end tonight's study on verse 6 where we're instructed, The gates of the river shall be opened and the palace shall be dissolved. Now, I want you to understand that this explains the overflowing or overrunning flood of chapter 1, verse 8, that we covered in the first segment, where we're told, with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. Who? Yahweh God. Who we're told, the verse above it, is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. And not only that, the Yahweh God knows every single person that trusts in Him. The Judeans at this point, a majority thereof, did not trust in Yahweh God. They trusted in the Assyrian. 
A polite way of saying they leaned unto their own understanding. And this is a mistake that we make time and time again throughout history. It does not matter if we, as Israel, consider a particular ruler to be righteous or not. What matters is whether that ruler truly is righteous in the eyes of Yahweh God. Because it is confirmable, Yahweh God will raise up every ruler of Israel, be they good or be they evil. And this is why we are commanded to render honor to whom honor is due. But through all of this, I want you to be able to have faith within Yahweh God, and more specifically, His Word. And I also want you to pay close attention to the fact that throughout all of this judgment, as i said numerous times, Yahweh God will save His remnant, because Yahweh God works through His remnant. Just as it is, Yahweh God works through people down here within this kingdom, Yahweh God works through unrighteous people as well. So consider the irony. If Yahweh God sends the devil, and people would prefer the devil, that's as great of an offense in the eyes of Yahweh God as denying him and choosing a replacement. And so, we must not make that same mistake. So, I want you to understand, this explains the overflowing or the overrunning flood that we read about in chapter 1, verse 8, where we're told, With an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the palace thereof. Now, tradition says there was a prophecy handed down from their forefathers declaring that Nineveh should not be taken. Of course, the Assyrians have their own tradition, and we've covered part of those last year. But this so-called tradition, you can look up for yourself on the Internet. And the king of Nineveh was probably imagining that the prophecy was being fulfilled and cast aside all hope of escape. He likely built a large funeral pyre in his palace and burned his concubines, his eunuchs, and himself. Now, this is only history, but this could explain the burning of the palace that we read about in verse 8 and the fire that we're going to get to in the next segment in chapter 3, round about verse 13 or 15. But notice, the gates of the river shall be opened and the palace shall be dissolved. The palace of who? A polite way of saying the king's palace. Therefore, know that Yahweh God can raise up an unrighteous ruler. And Yahweh God can cast that unrighteous ruler down. And the purpose for that is not the unrighteous ruler, but to see how many apostate Israelites or Judeans might follow. Remember in the Old Testament we are instructed, Choose ye this day by Yahshua at the beginning of the book of Joshua, whom we will serve. If we will serve Baal, then let it be Baal. But if we're to serve Yahweh God, then let it ultimately and overall be Yahweh God. That, my friends, is the general theme of Nahum. Nahum comes and says Nineveh will be destroyed, and Nineveh will be destroyed as a nation, many Judeans within Nineveh, because of the Assyrian ruler that they accepted as a taskmaster. No king but Jesus, and if we must vote, make sure the man you vote for is righteous and can be used of Yahweh God to bring about good upon this earth. The Assyrian did not bring about good, and the entire city of Nineveh would ultimately be destroyed. That included the men, women, and children that followed the Assyrian. 
So, there's a valuable moral tale to be learned from today's lesson, and that is this. There truly is no new thing under the sun. If we have an unrighteous ruler, then for God's sakes, do not be surprised when we have an unrighteous and an antichrist nation like we do now. And so, until next time, when we pick it back up in chapter 2, roundabout verse 3, this is Pastor Visser wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry! Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given. That wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.